this is the final book club. Woo! We're not doing it season three, but it might come back later. You don't know. We don't know. We might get bored and decide we want to read some prose again. a format at one time and now we don't so that's that's what it is kids <laughs> that's what it is kids it's the final we're throwing out the rule book anyway we're having fun we're having fun i picked this one because Hell, it's just so yeah. goddamn wholesome it's just wholesome so without further ado hello and welcome back to another cringy soul-bearing episode of book club but this is way less cringy than it used to be because we're doing a good one we're doing a feel good we're doing something that just reaches down into your soul and just makes you feel great so uh happy making is the name of the game and the game is prose and the happy is the wayfarer series which was originally self-published, the very first book in the series, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, set in the Galactic Commons universe, which is amazing because she did that shit on Kickstarter and then got picked up and then everyone was like, oh my god, I love this so much! And she got all the awards. Well, not all the awards, but nominated for the awards. But the only synopsis you need to hear <laughs> is <laughs> as the Financial Times, James Lovegrove described it as SF for the Tumblr generation, a feel-good tale of nonconformity, gender fluidity, multiculturalism, and unorthodox sexual relationships. And perfectly pleasant, but faulted it for somewhat lacking in dramatic tension. <laughs> and that, my friends, is this book. Oh, baby Dulles. Yeah, she's there. She's making making noises. Chirp, I think chirp. that's a pretty accurate synopsis for it. I find references to the Tumblr website and fans always kind of make me flinch. <laughs> I was on Tumblr all the time, and I could very easily fall back into Tumblr any minute simply for the humor that I found yeah. there. But I was on it for a variety of trends and uh, leftist anti-mainstream beliefs. You know, I shouldn't even have said leftist. I was just there for a lot of social trends, for communication, presentation. And I had mostly catered a very positive experience. I didn't interact with others, but I found people who were mostly reasonable, but I knew that was not the majority of the case like well and this was 2016 uh, yeah, Tumblr. So that, that kind of made me go Ugh. oh yeah so okay. i don't know i feel like 2016 tumblr you know the stuff that i saw was all sanitized kind of like my twitter experience honestly just creating safe spaces for yourself boy it's great yeah i think i was on in 2012 so that was a different yeah. world i i went through a couple purges shall we say <laughs> I was there when they first went to Twitter 
I was there when they second went to Twitter and third went to Twitter. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't even know. I, I shudder to go back to Tumblr now. Like, what is what does Tumblr look like uh, in 2021? What was even there other than... That's a good question. I don't know. So this is sort of like all of the fun bits of space opera. When, and Aaron and I did a little bit of conversing before the 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 episode. So we are kind of going to try to hit all of the characters and try to like kind of graze over some of the themes that have been explored by this like world that the Galactic Commons has been sort of created because it's like the Odyssey meets the Galactic Commons, I would say. So you just sort of take little vignettes of different planets and different experiences in space just a big long travel story you know a la uh wizard of Earthsea or the odyssey or you know quite literally this very happy space opera but way less angsty than the space operas i'm used to engaging with so um yeah <laughs> so let's get started with Aaron. what was your initial impression because I know you did not read this book before we talked about it. Right. I had not heard of it before you put it on the list. I liked it. Yeah, no, I I really did like it. There's not a lot of hesitation there. I do have to say that the person's review that it didn't have a lot of dramatic tension was very correct. Mm-hmm. It was. It, again, I think you at one point you said it was like a road trip book. Like the Odyssey, mm-hmm. but space. I definitely, it felt like a road trip maybe kind of book but it reminded me of all of the good things about like star wars mass effect outer worlds star trek firefly like it it had all of these little easter eggs that continuously existed in sci-fi that i really enjoyed this diversity of cast um i like the diversity of ideas i even like the little uh sciencey article in there that was talking about how because there are so many similarities between species that have evolved independently from each other across the universes that maybe there are some general expectations one can make for evolution you know like species that seem similar to less intelligent other species on their planets so i i liked a lot of what the author did in writing with her expansive world building. Yeah. I well, was I was very happy to hear you say that. I was getting a little nervous about it because the last space opera that I brought to the fore is very different from this. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to try this one because I feel like this one's better, like just better, but also like maybe hopefully more Aaron style. Cause I know you do engage with like Firefly and you know video games that are kind of spacey and stuff. So I was like hoping that that wasn't like Otter Harrington was space. <laughs> exactly. I've been satisfied by your response to it, and I'm going to say it now because we're going to be running through a whole bunch of characters and then kind of like the themes that circled around those characters throughout the series and the things that they kind of interacted with and what it made us think of in our world, which is what good sci-fi does, but it is something that you have to kind of think about. I don't have the feeling when I read this book that the diversity is forced in any way it is it is a well-woven novel like 
I know everyone's like, oh, forced diversity or whatever. And not everyone on our feeds, but I mean like people in general. So whenever we start talking about things like the Tumblr generation, you kind of get the sense, depending on who's saying it, that it might be kind of snooty looking down their nose at, oh, it's, it's bubble wrapped for safety because they can't handle conflict, like real space or whatever. And honestly, just fuck all of that right out the window. Like this is just one of those pastoral mm-hmm. pieces where you're on a road trip. It's not a edge of your seat thriller, but it is just pleasant. It, like it's got a good vibe. It keeps you rolling through it. You don't just stall out. Like I, I know you've stalled out on a couple of the other books that we've read throughout the series and that didn't happen here because you're genuinely interested in the world building and it's done in such a way that like each new and interesting species and each new and interesting character kind of pulls you forward you want to find out more about them none of them are so cookie cutter that you're like oh yeah that's just you know vulcan's copy pasta it's not not well written it's a palate cleanser and that was what i wanted for the series finale because of all of the hard and heavy nasty shit that apparently i gravitate to in narrative (laughs) so so though with that road trip vibe yeah, it it kind of did the sci-fi thing that I enjoy. Like we talked about with Honor Harrington, I'm not really into the tech aspects. I'm not really into the big space scenes. I love like the Mandalorian and I love Han Solo's aspect of Star Wars. I don't like necessarily the Sith and Jedi war. I love the relationships between people. And this book had a lot of drama and tension around the exploration of species, the the building of positive bonds, and what it means to exist, like a very hypothetical on existing, coexisting in this type of universe. And in a very small space for long periods of time, because I think that's the main onus of this, right, Mm -hmm. is they're going to be in a small tin can for a full year. Like that is kind of what the tension is built Mm -hmm. around. Yeah. The standard years, I think, are just a little bit young, longer than the years as we know them. I don't know. I just enjoyed kind of the little what ifs. And she hit a lot of topics. I mean, she hit a lot of things. The main character, the main POV character, I should say, uh, that we are kind of used to introduce us to the basis of the world. She is the new kid on the ship. Her name is Rosemary Harper. She's a Martian-born human, uh, and she leaves her home planet, and you can tell by the way that she's introduced that she's running from something and she's hidden her identity, and she's going to be the new ship's clerk for Wayfarer, which is a tunneling ship where they break holes into space to connect one piece of the world to another. So sort of what I noticed about Rosemary Harper is she comes from a place of privilege and money and a group of people who escaped a failing Earth before everyone else did. So before the last people who made it out got Mm -hmm. out, her ancestors hopped ship because they had the means to. And that's why they're on Marsha. Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. That's why they're on Mars. (laughs) The first sort of terraformed place that humanity reached out to. So she is kind of got a lot of... I don't know that I would call it exposition. I mean, like, by introducing her to the ship, you get introduced to a lot of things. She has a multiculturalism background where she studied that in college, which I think is just like a fun 
okay, you are new here, white feminist. Welcome to the world. So you studied this book in the Midwest <laughs> where there's nobody with that diverse background that you're trying to be respectful of present, but you're doing your best to learn it out of books. And then now you're out in the world for the first time, not attached to your family. And just... you are out of your element. <laughs> yeah, you're now going to have to figure out how to put that book learning to work, guys. I think that's what's fun about Rosemary Harper because it kind of feels... It feels legit. It feels like if I was to get on an interstellar, then I had been learning about all of these people. You know, she's she's proficient in Hanto, mm -hmm. which is one of the harder languages to learn with this species that is kind of like a slug with tentacles around their heads. And that's how like half of what they use to speak. So she's got to like put her fingers up by her face and waggle them. <laughs> <laughs> to do like the yeah. whole conversations uh yeah rosemary due to her nude newness was our way of meeting a lot of the other characters but rosemary's journey and story was much more centered around war crimes essentially her history was a mystery what a <laughs> rhyme what a rhyme and what a we get really really far into the book before we kind of figure out what happened what happened is her bougie ass dad her wealthy ass family was selling horrible like gene targeting weapons to alien species in order to profit off of their civil war he was selling to both sides so he was an arms dealer who did get persecuted and inevitably arrested and charged during the series of the book Mm -hmm. So for her, we had a lot of conversations around how who one is can be made on their choices because she was so nervous that they were going to kick her from the ship because she lied about her last name. She lied about this new identity. She didn't tell everybody about her relationship with this guy. So, uh, but she was reassured by everybody on the ship where it's like, you're, you know, you're not that person because you choose to do good. And she also was a really, I think, a great person for negotiation. And she really tried to find the most peaceful solutions for when they did have any kind of conflict. And she also was the one who'd be appropriately horrified anytime she came or they came across weapons. Like, mm -hmm. I, it's kind of hard to grasp, I think, what she was specific for her because so much of the story was based around her and her development. Since That's she true. was new to everything. Yeah. So, I mean, more of that stuff is definitely going to come up later. <laughs> yeah. But for her, the big things were learning about the universe around them and how she excelled with that. And, of course, being staunchly against war crimes. And I would also well, say, like, yeah. building up her confidence in her new role in the world yep. and her new home. So then... Mm -hmm. As she comes onto the Wayfarer, she's introduced to, we'll go to Ashby, the captain. He's the human captain of the Wayfarer. He grew up in the Exodus fleet, the Exodus fleet being the people who didn't get out until the very end. Uh, so the Exodans, as opposed to the Martians, are very uh, neutral-skinned. So the Martians are kind of still culturally, ethnically distinct in some ways. Distinct. The Exodus fleet is very blended. So it's humanity sort of... Mm -hmm. all put into one melting pot kind of and then it's not to say that she's sort of washed out race is an issue like she took it out of the frame of reference that we have here in the world to kind of escape some of the mm -hmm. racial discussions uh so we basically have like a class mm -hmm. discussion and a, a little pocket or two of relig religiosity discussions 
we get to mm-hmm. we get to find out more about different kinds of we get to find out more about different kinds of humanity, not just different races, but different kinds of humanity that are a part of this diaspora, which is what essentially has happened because the earth is not really a place that is humans can live on. So that's kind of Ashby's thing is he's an Exodon and Exodons are pacifists. So yeah, if Ashby being a pacifist, again, just showed the variety of human cultures that have developed, but also it allowed for a lot of reflection on the shames of human past in regards to um, war, uh, environmental neglect and abuse and kind of the way people have developed in space he was definitely just more of an anchor i think all of the humans provided very relatable contrasts for how different personalities exist he was definitely more like the reflection i think of traditional values in the sense of he was definitely like he just seemed more human, you know, like very Star Trek captain kind of in the sense of I am more modest than others. I'm here to keep my crew safe. I'm focused on my family and emotionally invested in people in a very kind of singular way rather than being like, I'm going to learn about everything. He just seemed so business and focused, if that makes sense. Which is a nice counter because he had two other crew members who were humans who were (laughs) all over the place. Would yeah. you? Could I talk about Kizzy and Jinx? Yeah. There are also a group of people, and I think they're, yeah, they're also the Gaiists, who, because they don't believe in any, like, they're incredibly specious. They're not mm-hmm. cool people. Other aliens aren't cool. Humans are where it's at. And you do not change your human DNA. So no gene tweaking. Jinx is a gentleman whose mother was a Gaiist, whose she didn't take any like prenatal or kind of any natal medical care and Jinx's mother uh, not getting a lot of medical care, I guess wasn't fully aware of the fact that he had some needs that needed to be taken account of. And so he was born with dwarfism and I guess some other health concerns. He was actually, his mom was in a community at the time. He was like, he's not perfect. We're going to kill him. And then she was like, fuck that shit. I'm out, which I thought was great. But Jinx has developed into this wonderful person who has modified his body, not by gene tweaking, but with tattooing because he wants to decorate himself how he feels comfortable. But he's he's just a great piece to talk about the diversity of bodies and how one can present and control their identity. He also becomes a computer tech and takes care of AI systems, which they have an AI on their ship and is also best friends with the other tech, Kizzy, and the AI lovey. And I guess I'll let you talk about what his themes are. So he is a very empathetic character, even for this very open and interactive world where people do have a lot of allowances for other species and cultures and stuff. Jinx is next level. And so he's kind of got this deep sense of self that allows him to reach out and kind of accommodate for AIs in a way that the rest of the world doesn't, or the universe doesn't. He's just this solid character. He gets into a lot of hijinks with Kizzy, who I'll introduce in a second. And they are wild, those two together are pretty wild. But the themes that kind of intersect with him are interesting. 
because they are some of the main conflicts of the universe. I would say how much and what kind of rights to allow AIs is something that she explores further in the series, especially since one of the characters kind of jumped ship in a very illegal way, which we'll talk about later when we talk about Lovelace. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, Jinx is a very interesting character, especially since it does take you quite some time to figure out what his deal is, quote unquote, you know? I think Rosemary's under the assumption that he gene tweaked to be that small and then was, you know, like kind mm-hmm. of, and that kind of brings into a little bit of conflict because he doesn't like short jokes and stuff. And then people who talk about it. So then she was a little bit like, I don't know, what's his deal? And you don't really find out his deal until like halfway through the book. I just stand Jinx. Like, you're, you're right. I, he's one of the characters I'm most excited about. You're right about the empathy thing. That's definitely his story. And I also think that he just really adds a great perspective about one's physical identity. Mm-hmm. His is about your physical identity and ability and what does it mean to be worthy of existence. And comfortable with the ex- existence that you have because he is yeah. extremely comfortable. There's not there's not a lot of angst there. And then there's Kizzy, who is the other technician, and she does more of the mechanical stuff, like where Jinx is the electrical tech. She's more of the, like, let's clean out the filters kind of tech she's a a human mm-hmm. i don't i don't quite remember what her deal is she's a colony she's a colony kid but from a poor colony i can't remember you could tell that she grew up poor but doesn't like have any angst about that either she just leaves this very interesting trail of friends and found family behind her she just is this embodiment of love her whole family structure you is ex- described as extremely loving um, there's not a lot of angst in Kizzy's soul. Uh, she is a little bit of a hard one to follow. She's got one of those, I don't know, it's the closest this book comes to a Manic Pixie dream girl, but it's not. It's like the fun Manic Pixie part without the dream girliness. You know, like it's just a character who has her own foibles and, and concerns, but is ultimately just like happy for the ride and interesting things. I think at one point Jinx and Kizzy piece out of a family get together with a different crewmate to go to a concert for this one of the things that is sort of ever present in modern and techie culture is like this particular style of like trash rock that they listen to (laughs) and so there's one really funny scene where she's singing nonsense words that you can tell like after a little bit whatever somebody's like are you fucking do you know what you're listening to uh she's like yeah it's the the bang on the trash can song and they're like it's describing sexual acts of the royal family of such and such like it's banned in this area of the universe and she's like yeah it's a great song and it's just she's singing nonsense for the civil war and she's don't care yeah (laughs) it's amazing song and i sing nonsense lyrics to it because i don't understand the actual language so like i don't know kizzy is fun she's like the fun happy kid but you know like you you can tell immediately how welcoming she is because she makes rosemary some curtains for her room and like gives her like a fake plant that has like lights up but like a techno fake plant so she can have a little bit of hominess to her quarters. Like, I just love Kizzy so much. She's one of my favorites. And she has a lot of fun themes to her, too. Sure, yeah. She's definitely the emotional human on the ship. Uh, her emotions, she's quirky. She's 
she has renamed their tea happy tea boring tea based on its caffeination levels she's the one who is hard to follow impulsive but she's the one who everybody i think kind of loves in this very fun youthful juvenile way you know she wears her heart on her sleeve but what happens also with that in is though she knows what to do in technical situations you know she can unravel the mystery of a gunked up pipe hidden under or hidden behind the wall she at one point disarms mines that were hidden by a terrorist in a ally ship but she didn't know how to handle when they were boarded by pirates and her friend the captain was struck across the face and knocked unconscious and she had a gun waved in her face she afterwards had nightmares couldn't sleep couldn't stop thinking about it and when an ally ship does approaches she begins to panic about how they're being boarded again and these are all very much like trauma stress responses and so her growth i thought was phenomenal because she got to pretty much talk about emotional acceptance where she's like she met a badass lady who does combat focused things who like is in dangerous situations and the woman looked at her and said i'm scared of fish and for her that was like her epiphany moment of being able to sit there and go like fear is real fear exists it's okay because somebody who's badass is, is scared of fish i can be scared of having a gun waved in my face that makes perfect fucking sense because the badass woman's also scared of that and she's scared of fish <laughs> so she, it's like the, i thought that was just a really great and kind of alternative healing narrative you know yeah. it's yeah. very like and I, I thought it was really kind of cool because of that because it's not like she denied those feelings or had to overcome those feelings she just worked towards accepting those feelings and that was kind of i love that for her of her just being like i'm accepting that i'm scared all the time and i can still do things because I can control some of these situations or I can control how I react in those situations. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And, and Becky, I think does that with humanity a lot, like in juxtapositions, like you humans are so weird Mm -hmm. trying to pretend like you don't feel things. Like this is something that comes up with other people's narratives as well. And I just really enjoyed that, especially since none of them are coming from like a solemn above everything kind of shaman type character all of the characters who have that kind of talk with the humans also have their own emotional arcs and journeys i just am like very pleased with how it's interwoven because she's has so many different characters that are it's like an ensemble cast she's able to weave this structure of other people's you know like growing journeys are helped by their family who were also being helped by them in return for other pieces that you know like they have this thing unlocked but the other person doesn't it's just a really communal happy thing like i i just cannot stress enough how much this is a feel-good palette cleanser even if they are talking about things like trauma and there's one more human on the, the ship though which is a little bit of an interesting thing as well and i'm gonna just stick with the humans so we don't get into a a, a species talk too quickly Artis corbin is a human he's a ship algeus and he's from another very uh isolated colony so he's not exiden he's got what i would consider an irish look to him like he's got a very pale skin very bright red hair he's pink yeah and he's a scientist character and he's really like got no social skills not in like an autistic way, but like in a just bad at them, prefers book learning type of way. Um, 
Does that make sense? I feel like I have to make that distinction because there are other characters who do have more of an like a like an actual autism, not just like oh he's mean and surly, so that means he's autistic. You know what I mean? Like it's not. She does such a good job of of portraying diversity without like re- falling back on gross tropes that are just sort of like slapping people in there without actually giving them their own characterization. You know, like. I don't know how else to explain it. She doesn't She doesn't do any lazy diversity in here. It's all, you know, like, well thought of characterizations of people. And she just uses diverse backgrounds to make up the cast of people. I think it's that empathy piece that we've referred yeah. to. Like, and I think we what we can say about Corden is he's an ass. Let's just call him for what he is. He's a jackass. Mm-hmm. He's very, like perfection based he's very focused on his own work he says hateful he lashes out at people and says hateful derogatory things is um, it a little bit he's, he, uh, yeah he's just not a pleasant person but uh, but he's got an interesting through line as well he is a clone yeah and that is illegal his existence is illegal uh, and so his narrative is a bit about kind of immigration and the horribleness, like the way he's treated when he's thrown into that particular prison. Um, I mean, he's literally charged and headbutted and has his ribs broken because of the bureaucrats and rules and ethical perceptions of their existence the only person who could be his like sponsor for guardianship is the person who hates him the most and like his crew member who hates him the most and because of being a clone i mean his entire existence like his his story's life is just shattered because he thought he had a mother at one point who died when he was born you know it just it it changed his world but to know that he was a clone of his father that also changes our perception of him because he and his father have this incredibly blunt conversation where he's just like you were so horrible to me because you wanted me to be a perfect you and i mean corden had fallen to the point where he didn't know if his birthday was his actual birthday i like was incredibly sad when he wrote October 25th is still my birthday. I was like, oh, fuck, man. Like, the fact that he has to even go to something that basic. When was I mm-hmm. actually born? So yeah. I was like, God, fuck. That, that messed me up. And then, um, yeah. But I love that turning point for him in the story because I think he he threw off all of those expectations from his family and expectations for perfection. Like, he changed so much after that. Yeah, and I think he became a lot more, he is like, it's like because he found out that he was not the original model of humanity that he found his humanity. Like, that was how he discovered his, he's like, I'm a member of humanity, regardless of what they think of me, you know, and he acts like it a bit more, (laughs) which I think is a fun, Mm -hmm. oh, now I've actually had, like, a hardship in a very specific new way, and it's going to open my eyes to be a little bit better. Just better. But also maybe not. So I don't know. Like, I don't know about him because he, he's interacting with a different person. So the the guardian that has to be his guardian is Sissix. And Sissix is an Andrisk. And she is the pilot of the Wayfarer. 
but she is a sort of reptilian species uh, who likes it warm, which is, I think, the basis of her main complaints with Corbin, other than him just being a species, uh, is she likes to keep it warm and so taxes his fuel reserves more so than he is comfortable with. Uh, how dare you? Need something like that for your body because you are actually cold-blooded. She is from a very loving, very not-human family structure. So they don't wear clothes, they don't really feel the same kind of sense of body shame that humans do. They they are very polyamorous, they have open family structures that are constantly changing, and they don't have interactions with their egg parents. They have egg parents, hatch parents, and feather family. Hatch family and feather family. So they have eggs and fertilize eggs, but they're not ready to teach an and like another being how to be a being. So then they hand off the eggs to a hatch family, which kind of raises this egg. So they raise the eggs until they're considered a person, which is when their feathers come in. So they don't have any attachment to basically toddlers. Like they don't consider little Andrus Andrus, I should say, which is interesting. And then once they have their feathers, they have a feather family, which is sort of like all of the adults that they have sex with. And then those feather families will get a little older and then they'll take in hatchlings and become a hatch family. So it's an interesting family dynamic and it kind of uses some of the narratives that you hear about in like pro-choice conversations talking about like why is the loss of potential worth more than the loss of adults which I think is interesting yeah so her feather family isn't necessarily you know the family that they that they fuck it's like they're friends it's you know you you can't choose your family but you can choose your friends because the, the groups rotate so Sissix brings just this really awesome perspective on relationships to the table friendships affection physical affection and it, I really enjoyed just the idea that affection doesn't have to be limited to words. You know, the critique that humans are incredibly modest because we don't hold hands or nuzzle or hug or just kind of cuddle even platonically with people. Because there is this nature of even though they have no hindrances to coupling, as they call it, or even kind of a public display of coupling uh <laughs> they are just a people that are more into the touching the affection sharing love and caring for each other in very kind of physical ways and it's also pragmatic in the sense of like who you are and who you become kind of means more than blood and it means more than kind of necessarily history so kind of what she's talking about, how who you are is more important than the potential. Like death of their children is a very common thing in their culture. Not every hatchling survives to personhood, to feathers. And that's, that's fine for them because there is more joy in seeing who they connect with and who they become than sorrow in this loss of potential because they do celebrate each other so much all the time. And I think that's a really hard concept for, you know, how we feel, but it's also, I think, speaks to the developmental needs in, of the different species. But I do love a lot of the narrative about, like, just deserving love, deserving affection, deserving connection because you exist. Uh, Sizzix does a very kind thing to another Andrask in, or Andrask in a marketplace who was struggling because... They 
were really unable to build relationships with others. And so she doesn't have a Hatch family. Yeah, she was all alone. And Sissix just does this very kind thing of just holding her in public. And it was very much this neglect, you know, of her needs and the way it's presented it definitely seems a little bit like if we were to compare it to a human characteristic the lonely andrus could maybe be diagnosed along the autism spectrum or some other thing because she does talk about how she just struggles she just doesn't know and so she's alone it's very hard for her to connect with others but sizzix is just a kind person who cares deeply for those around her and just wishes she could hold people more or yeah. be held and yeah, bond just... with her space family in the way that she needs and so it 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 really kind of again becomes that cultural norms conversation she has that really touching moment whenever whenever you find out that her family like her other family is the wayfarer and rosemary offers the physicality to her as like a hey I am willing to be physical with you in this way that you're missing, you know, like if you want, if not, then that's fine. I love you for who you are, but like, I'm willing to try to be this for you or to fill some of this need for you. Um, and you, you definitely have a lot of conversation kind of wrapped up in that around just being very concerned about, uh, Rosemary's ability to, to have that kind of a relationship because like the, it is fully expected that if they land on a planet where there's a tat, which is what they call an orgy, uh, Sissix is probably gonna go, you know, and, and, like, humans get weird, human mammals get weird with all them hormones and stuff during coupling. I don't know. I really enjoy the kind of species aspect to the polyamory. Like, they're just like, I don't know, there's something broken in humanity that they think that they have to do this. You know, like, they, it's really hard for them to overcome because they have all them hormones, you know? And I, I think that's what the stories are about, is that there's a a cultural component to it, and that's why they laugh at humans <laughs> for being modest. And then there was a part, too, which I think was, I don't know, consistency is key with this, and she's very consistent, because when Sissix goes to pick up Corbin, Corbin is covering his junk because he's naked, and he's held by actual, like, mm -hmm. a different species. Like, it's a different species, and they're really anti-cloning because they had a lot of cloning happen during their civil unrest period before they joined the Galactic Commons. And they beat the shit out of him, like we were talking about earlier, and they were really terrible to him, and Sussex is, like, feeling bad for him, you know, for all of the pain and hardship that he's experienced, even though he's a species as an asshole to her, and calls her a lizard all the time, which is, as you can imagine, a terrible racial slur, or a species slur. And, um, like, he's covering his junk, and she has this moment, like, in her empathy, her unwanted empathy of this man that she's now lashed to for a standard, uh, it has to be in the same space as for at least a standard to get through the application process to quote make him a, a citizen of the Galactic Commons. She's just like humans and their fucking junk. Like that. Oh, he's like bleeding, and this is the first thing he does is cover up his. Like who fucking cares? And she's just like ah, oh, but he but. It, you know, like, I don't understand their shame, so she, like, basically, like, tongue lashes the guards into giving him clothes or something to cover up with, you know, like, to, to be 
respectful of that yeah. need that she doesn't share. But there's just this funny, like, that's what you're worried about. <laughs> like, yeah, not your obvious- broken nose and your shattered ribs. <laughs> yeah, like your junk. Your nudity. Sure. Priorities. <laughs> um, so- the fact that you're a clone, but no, you're like, no, my balls. Not like, my balls. Don't look at my balls or my flabby self. Not my balls. <laughs> These are my balls. So a different kind of maybe conversation, and the the meat of this conversation is saved for later. But Lovelace is their cruise AI, and um, she mm-hmm. has developed a new person over three or four standards, or I think it's even five or six. She's been a member of the crew for a long time, and Lovey is now what her name is. And she is in a romantic relationship with Jinx. Like, an actual romantic relationship. And they share some very touching, like, like they share what kind of sensory communications they can. Where he, like, will kind of get naked and, like, like lean up against her cores to feel her warmth, you know? Because <laughs> she'll, like, it, it, it's just fucking the cutest thing. And it makes you love Jinx all the more for it because of the contrast between the rest of the crew which are accepting and loving but also don't really see her as a person in the same way that Jinx obviously does. Like there's a, oh yeah, I accept you and acknowledge you, but then there's still this different aspect to their treatment of her. She has a really tragic story but there's a lot of themes that are kind of attached to her as well and I don't know I don't know how many of them, I'm going to let you talk about that because I don't remember how many of them are in this book as opposed to other books that I will be pulling off of if I try to do this myself. And you're better at this than I am, to be honest, like in terms of summarizing things. (laughs) I'm going to just ramble for a second. So you go for it, girl. (laughs) Uh, Lovey's story in A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet is definitely about... Her discussion, again, is that kind of prototypical uh, sci-fi conversation about what what constitutes sentience. And there, of course, is a movement of beings who are like AI. All AIs are sentient. But again, there's also practicality, too, where some AIs aren't developed with sentience. But then a lot of other AIs do kind of develop their own personality over the years, becoming their own personalities individuals with needs and wants yeah it's so that's what her story is but what's really heartbreaking about lovey is we lose her she dies like straight up dies i mean that version of her is gone forever in the book in the first book at least i don't i don't know what happens in the other stuff but she has to go through a hard reset and all of those memory files that made lovey lovey were destroyed and so now this new Lovelace is there, leaving Jinx absolutely wrecked as a human being. But her compassion still exists. Like, she immediately touches in with her feelings side of her programming. And she makes a decision to kind of leave the ship in a very illegal way. Um, <laughs> if only to allow... Jinx and the team who lost this being that they loved allow them to heal because she could not be that person that they were used to. She wouldn't be lovey again because those same three to six years of experiences were not going to be replicated. They're not going to make her lovey. There's a really heartbreaking moment when 
she is failing and Jinx is trying to save her in a very like obviously dangerous way. He's jacking himself straight into her hard drive, uh, which is not safe for a human brain to be in. Mm-hmm. She has a file on him, but she doesn't have a file on everyone, but it's everything he's ever said to her. And she created it the moment he installed her, like the same day he installed her because she loved him immediately. And the new lovey, the, the new oh, love that scene doesn't. messed me up. And the new love lights doesn't have it. that. Yeah, so it is obviously like there's something more that's intangible that's different, and it's an interesting mm-hmm. kind of concept because there's these modules like there's a bunch of love laces running around, but they're all different. They're all different people, and it's just mm-hmm. a very unique way. I don't know why I feel like this conversation on AI means so much more to me than other people than other people's attempts before and i think maybe it's just the lack of body kind of makes it a bit more like you're not looking at a person on two feet and and imagining them as an ai intelligence like you would in like star trek uh but but it's literally just the voice in the ship you know and they still managed to personify her in a way that makes the AI conversation mean more to me than other pieces of sci-fi that I have experienced in the past. I don't know. But but the body kits are illegal, and so in order to have the next a different kind of physical relationship, they got one for Lovey when she was still there, and then they kind of talked themselves out of it, but it had been ordered and kept by their friend. Uh, so then their friend Pepper, who has her own tragic backstory that is its own book, like it's literally in its own book, has a deep feeling. It's basically the long and short of it is she's saved by an AI ship, and she wasn't able to save that ship because it was cobbled together anyway. Um, so the ship, the AI on the ship died, but she had that. Like, this was literally like her mother figure and also her savior, so she has that same deep emotional connection to AIs that Jinx does which I think is interesting. So it's not just like Jinx is a one-off. It's like there's other people in this galaxy that have that depth of empathy and that pool of caring and compassion um, and the ability to recognize people. I'm not surprised people. at all because people imprint on their Roombas. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true though. Yeah, like... <laughs> I mean, the AIs, the sentient AIs are beings with personality emotions they talk with us and like that is a basic need of biology that i don't think a lot of people i mean i think we all kind of get it or whatever but like they've even done experiments with the infants and we even know from infants that in a lot of cases what feeds you isn't always what's more important what gives you that emotional satisfaction the feeling of being connected and loved and cared for that's what that's what we we fall for that's what we connect with so of course this ai who's invested in all of your care who listens and responds to you and says things like oh thank you and please and tries to take your comfort levels into concern where they're um distracting you while they go you go through inconvenient processes mm-hmm. that person's going to mean so much to you even if it's an ai because we give a shit about our Roombas. Yeah. It's what true. So so there's two more characters, and they're neither of them human, that are members of the, the ship. And Dr. Shep is a Grum, who's like a seal, meets a caterpillar, 
like, but the caterpillar from, like, Alice in Wonderland, kind of. Dr. Chef is from a species that starts life as female. They transition to male, and then they become this other gender in their later life. So it's, it's a, it's an age gendering that happens. Kind of like they go through a metamorphosis, like caterpillar to butterfly. It, you know, they start off with the ability to mother children, they develop the ability to father children, and then there's some third gender that Dr. Chef will transition into when he gets to that point in his life. At the moment, he is male, but he's never going to have the chance to be a father because he's one of a dying species. His species is going to die. He's one of like a couple of hundred left, and all of his daughters died in this horrible civil war that they had and he was a doctor then and then later he becomes a doctor and then finds like love of soup and he is just the most wholesome character but he also has the largest i think example of emotional depth and i know you particularly like imprinted on dr chef immediately so i'm just gonna get out of your way so you can talk about dr chef (laughs) (laughs) i 100 percent did uh, Dr. Chef, when you first meet him, he's cooking. And he's cooking because he loves to cook for others. And he, like, learns about all the dietary needs of all of his crewmates. He leaves a spot out for Ohan, who is a member of their crew who never joins them. He always leaves a seat. Even though he knows Ohan won't join, he leaves it just in case he wants to be there. They want to be there. And it's fucking i was like that's so cool and then he's also their doctor like he does all of their checks updates their immunobots keeps them healthy and that also kind of blurs with emotional health he does keep them try to keep them emotionally healthy as well but i remember really what stuck with me was the scene his chapter you know his moment of talking about all the loss and horror that he experienced in his life definitely in his motherhood where he's describing tea and the simple joys in stewing something and creating something else because for him when he was younger and living on his planet hot water was just for sleeping in and then he's like this is beautiful you know the it, it was such a little such an intense description of the process of tea brewing that i was like this just it resonated with me and where I think simple joys are, you know, like you just have to find those little things that fascinate you, that delight you, and you have to embrace it. What I also loved about him is that as he's telling the story of seeing his youngest daughter die, the horrors of seeing the brutality of war and just kind of having to even mercifully take the lives of fellow Grum who aren't going to survive their injuries as he just as he's reconciling all of these horrors with his life he also doesn't shy away from the emotions of it like he very much owns the fact that he is feeling them that they're there and that he like he doesn't hide them he doesn't bottle them up he lets them he lets them come he lets them exist and I kind of just love that balance i don't know his entire thing was just like i care for one's physical and mental health and i saw some shit like just because mine's worse doesn't mean yours is valid. or i'd like to read 
one of the scenes that really stuck with me. Is that okay? Yeah, do it. You got to do it in your most like NPR voice though. Okay. Okay. So this scene is Rosemary and Dr. Chef. Rosemary is talking to Dr. Chef about how her father sold horrible weapons of war to a civil war that had nothing to do with humans sold to both sides only for profit and dr chef is sharing his species complicated history with war and the brutality and the reconciling of who he is with what has been done by others or around him and the guilt that comes from that so dr chef You found something dark within your own house, and you're wondering how much of it has rubbed off on you. Rosemary started to nod, then shook her head. That's not the same. What happened to you, to your species, it doesn't even compare. Why? Because it's worse? But it still compares. If you have a fractured bone and I've broken every bone in my body, does that make your fracture go away? Does it hurt you any less, knowing that I'm not in pain? I'm going to skip some of the lines, but he goes on to say feelings are relative. And at the, at the root, they are all the same, even if they grow from different experiences and exist on different scales. <laughs> and then I do love the line of you humans really do cripple yourselves with your belief that you all think in unique ways. <laughs> and I thought that was like really impactful as somebody who does work in mental health in the sense of so many people come into my office and they you know are like i'm struggling with xyz but i know people struggle with more it's like well, it doesn't like it does matter that people struggle with more because you care about it but at the same time like it doesn't matter for the sake of what your needs are like if you need a resource access the resource and if they don't have enough for you and prioritize based on care that's that's what they do that's the, up to the agency someone's needs just because they might seem on a more minor scale rosemary's dad sold weapons of war dr chef had to euthanize his youngest daughter because she wasn't going to survive a war injury like just because the significance might be different like it doesn't change the fact that they can't resonate or both need the emotional support in the times that they need them doesn't delegitimize one's struggle and I really loved that conversation. And I thought that was really important to recognize. And also recognize in the context of they both can have compassion for each other. Because Dr. Chef and Rosemary did have compassion for each other. And I think it's important when saying your problems are no less or more than mine to also have compassion for the other person. Yeah, and Dr. Grum... Also, Dr. Grum, Dr. Chef also kind of says something about the emotional resilience of other species, basically saying that he's always feeling all of those emotions all the time. So he just takes a moment for himself to refine that feeling like that feeling doesn't go away, even though he's put distance from himself, like and that time in his life at the time he was a she, but. You know, like their life has moved mm-hmm. on, and they st- and he still finds joy and love and and compassion for others, but can still at any point in time pull up that same feeling, any of those feelings that he's ever had. So I think that's just a really like emotionally interesting species, and it's a real shame that there's not going to be more of those species 
continued on because even though it's a mythical universe like a fantastic sci-fi adventure like you just want to you just want there to be a whole bunch of dr chefs even though you know that dr chef is a rarity in his own species because like and all of his species that do find that same level of zen that he has they do it through horrible things and interactions with genetic weaponry and warfare you know, it's a real terrible, terrible thing. Uh, yeah. But also, I love the fact that um, he slept in warm water. Like, that's their beds as they sleep in warm pools of water. <laughs> and last but not least is Ohan, who I have the most complex, like, feelings on. Mostly because of the narrative regarding their illness. So, Ohan is a Sinat pair, a navigator, who's like, kind of like a gorilla-esque like body structure like think abominable snowman uh, or you know like like from the old ninja tunes that's kind of how i picture ohan <laughs> i don't know if that's legit or not but it kind of like covered mm-hmm. in fur shaggy uh kind of baby sloth like features in terms of like space on their face of their eyes they're kind of described as dopey because they are infected with a simian virus or a virus that changes their biology in such a way that they 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 basically worship this thing it opens their mind like the the folds of their minds are expanded so that they can do complex like physics and geometry and like they they understand the universe in a very complex way that nobody else can mm-hmm. can do so they're kind of like navigators from like doom without the spice they they have a virus and and way less gross like they're just but the virus shortens their life an incredible degree and then they go through like body failure like like a like a like a cancer that they a parkinson's esque yeah kind of yeah like a parkinson's that they worship um and there's a there's a mm-hmm. you find out that there's a cure for the virus and that there's a life after the virus if they accept the cure and they choose not to, and the crew respects that. But then Corbin doesn't respect that and gives them the cure anyway. And and they use them-they pronouns because they consider themselves a pair. It's their body and the virus within them. So it's just, it's a very complex conversation because it's, you know, like a little, it's got like hints of right to, to end your life, euthanasia a little bit it's got hints of like themes that i would consider like like are you a different person with illnesses like yeah ohan it's definitely the most complicated uh story there and i do kind of wonder if it is it it does speak a lot about cultural differences and choice and norms and i I find it very interesting that cordon is like i'm taking your choice away and it ended up almost expanding his choices because he was able like it's just really complicated talking about ohan uh he wanted to die on his terms he wanted to pass like his people do he wanted to wane away fade away and at the end of the book they had to make a choice well, they didn't have to make a choice. The author was, I thought, really compassionate in the sense that she did not force the crew to make the choice for him when they were in danger. They found other means of not taking that choice away from him. But Corden, when he came into it, 
they uh he took the choice away he was like we've already lost a good friend we're not losing another another and you can sit here and waste away and i thought that what really stuck out for me with me for that was that Corden was like you don't even know what's going on around you how can you make this decision and took it from him from them now what happens whenever he took gave them the cure it didn't change anything about them they still have the ability to see time and space in a very different way they are still that person and not a lot of time is given to after the fact so it's really really hard to make supposition about that you know you can't really we have no idea what happens but we do know that ohan and Corden bond through this decision after this decision and it does make me wonder if uh it was a bit like shaking off one's shackles of society. But. Yeah, I find Ohan as a very complicated topic as well. So I, I don't, I still don't know how I feel about Ohan. So with the conversation of Ohan, we didn't really get a chance to kind of talk about him more, more. But it is, like just said, very complicated. And unfortunately, we did have to end this recording kind of prematurely, just because our little, our littlest of the girls was having a rough time and just got taken away to do motherhood. What? Thank you for joining us. This is our last book club of at least season two. Maybe, maybe ever. Who knows? Oh my God, that just blows my mind. But anyway, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, most of your pod streaming networks. We're really glad you're here with us. Do you have any thoughts on Ohan? I'd really like to have more of a conversation and an understanding of what it could possibly mean because it was definitely a complicated thing. And I wonder if the story is going to be explored more. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye. But this book is... Kat, excuse you. <laughs> this episode isn't listen to Toothless play with a pill bottle in the background. <laughs> Leave my allergy meds alone. Okay, yes. this episode might be Toothless playing with an allergy relief. <laughs> or the edge of the microphone, excuse you. Yeah, fuck it, whatever. I'll, I'll chop that into something that makes sense. <sighs>